Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Wednesday Night Live. I'm Ron Crawford. I'm the pastor of the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. It's a privilege to be able to reach out to my lovely congregation here in Dallas and to all those who consider this church their home as well and to um, especially greet our Saints Network family. God is so good to us, and we are we are really enjoying a very a very blessed time in Him. This is a unique moment, not only in our lives but in the history of uh, the world. I I know that there have been plagues and all kinds of other things that have happened throughout the centuries, but. In modern society, with the connectivity of the world the way it is, there's never been anything like what we've been experiencing in the past couple of uh, months. And I believe that God has uh, allowed this time for a number of reasons, many of which we have uh, expounded on over the weeks. But for today, I would like to draw our attention to the idea, which I believe is accurate, that God has been using this time to get us ready, get his saints ready for what is coming. And so that really manifests in two different ways. One is a point of preparation for the great move of his spirit that is going to be poured out and the, the uh, subsequent demands that are going to play, be placed upon us as those who are a, quote, what means this, unquote, type of thing, which is what Peter set, answered to on the day of Pentecost. Uh, I think that there's so many scriptures that talk about those who can see the the power of God and who say, we want to be with you and we want to take hold of the hem of the garment and be called by your name. You know, we, we want to come and, and join with you. We want to lay on our faces before God with you. And, you know, that's what separates the, the move of the saints from just... Uh, a, a visitation or as, as wonderful as that might be or a growing group of, of uh, Christian folks in, a, in an extended church or whatever they might uh, be enjoying. You know, if you, if you hold on to the hem of the garment, that means that you are wanting to follow the dictates of um what has been embraced, the doctrinal foundational points that releases the dunamis functional power. Or if you say we want to be called by your name, that means we want to be joining with you in what God has called uh, and and put forward for uh, you to to do. Or if if you say, as as we mentioned earlier, that we want to come and proscuneo with you, that means that, first of all, you're, you're honoring that proscuneo shakha 
type of intercession and what God readily threw out his word over and over again says his people should be doing. And so there are going to be people who are drawn to those facets, but, um, you know, we were talking on Saints Radio yesterday about how will you know when the message is actually coming. Well, when people aren't going just because it's a, and, and some are going to be offended by this, but you know what, at this point I really don't care. People flock to music. Um, in fact, I remember Morningstar when Don Potter and Leonard Jones and Rick Joyner came together and said, you know what, there are people that are just coming to our gatherings because they like the music. They're like musical groupies, and they like what that sets out. It's kind of like a Christian holy rock experience. You know, we can't go down and hear uh, uh, Led Zeppelin at the at the stadium, and of course you couldn't hear them anymore anyway, and get blasted. We just like that mix. So, but we can substitute that here with Christian Christian music, and so they they kind of split the way they did things musically because of that, and they wanted people focusing on the message. And you know, what is the message? What what is the message? Um, I mean, is it what what separates a lot of those places from the, um, you know, the general church? Well, not a whole lot. You know, there were some ministries that were based in prayer, and I blessed them, but they forbade people from laying down. How can you be a how can you minister according to what God says in his word over and over again about the true measure of prayer, the true measure of of worship and it it is on your face not not i almost said roasting not resting or soaking which is probably the combination of rest and soak and that's really what's happening you're roasting um but but seeking god out of a point of obedience how can you say we're not doing that oh i know we've had to put restrictions here um, we've had to, to say you know, social distancing with proscuneo is a good thing spiritually because, you know, you don't want people crawling all over one another. That can create some problems. And, you know, but if you see groups that come together for anything other than the true measure of what God says he wants in his word, then, you know, I would say they need to move into what God says in his word. And that's what's coming. Those points of power, God is going to honor. And there'll be those who are going to come and say, teach us this. We want to learn the lessons you've learned through this. And so we don't have to trick things up. We don't have to compromise our morals. We don't have to abandon practices in the scripture that might trigger people. We don't have to do any of that baloney. God forbid we do that. But we are going to be, as Joshua said, who is on the Lord's side come over. And I, and I think that God is, God is really preparing us for that kind of an environment. See, you forgot what I launched into this to, to identify the two ways that God's preparing us. The first is that. The second is we're seeing the, the forays of the end time. We're seeing governmental restriction. We're seeing people who don't believe in God, who are trying to mandate what society should do. 
And we've seen how they, they really don't care about you as a Christian. And they think you're a, a nuisance. And so restrictions, jail, being um, you know, fined, those, these are beginning points. These are the beginning of sorrows. And so we're being prepared to see how, can, how do we function in this kind of an environment. And when things rebound and the presence of the Lord is moving and there's a, a vaccine and travel's restored and we see God f flowing in a powerful way, some will say, oh man, this is great. And they'll forget all about the things we should have been learning during this season because they're going to be revisited again. They're, they will. And otherwise, the scripture is not true. Otherwise, the things you read about in the end time passages will, will not occur. So we just need to recognize that we as saints have a job to do. We have a unique identity. We are forecast in the scripture. We're being trained for that right now. So, and I know it doesn't look like that in some ways, but that's the way it is. So we are coming upon the weekend known as Pentecost weekend and Pentecost Sunday is nigh unto us and it is not only the birth the birth date of the church the ecclesia but it is the time when God the Father poured out so many wonderful giftings and capacities for what the church should be using and doing but there are wonderful lessons of Pentecost that most of the church and most of, quote, Pentecostals don't really focus on. And subsequently, it's, more, it's simply a birthday celebration or it's a time where people who um, speak in tongues really highlight that message. Now, I must say, we're Pentecostal. We speak in tongues. We speak in diversities of tongues. There's a difference between those two. And that's not some new doctrine. It may be new for you, but it's in the Scripture. And, um, But I want to say that so many of the aspects of Pentecost that I was taught, <clears throat> excuse me, growing up in a Pentecostal church, were doctrines that were formed out of the convenience of people who were simply responding during the early days of the Pentecostal outpouring at the, the turn of the century going in from the late 1800s into the early 1900s. Yeah, you know, the business of tarrying, waiting, and how somebody receives speaking in tongues— and is that the filling of the Spirit? Or is that a gift that we all should have that, um, that we receive from God and utilize in intercession, but the, the ongoing outpouring of the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit, which the Bible says we should keep on being filled, is something adjacent to that. I have to tell you 
that, again, I was born into a Pentecostal church. I grew up in it. I was trained in the doctrines of a, of a major movement uh, in college and in seminary. I pastored in that. So I'm not some person from the outside shooting in. But I can tell you, in my many years of being in church and pastoring, I knew a lot of people who spoke in tongues who really weren't moving in the Spirit. If, if they had initially been filled, there were enough holes in their spirit that it leaked out. <laughs> and um, so I knew that speaking in tongues was a great gift and is a great gift, and we should use it according to what Scripture says. But that did not necessarily guarantee that that person who spoke in tongues was actually moving in the things of the Spirit. That's just the truth. Now, I know that flattens, that flattens a lot of doctrines, but if doctrine doesn't meet the scriptural standard and doesn't actually function, then what good is the doctrine? So um, I, I would see that uh, even the prospect of uh, praying for people to speak in tongues was an exasperating process. And the reason it was, was that some people were ready, some people were willing to step into the experience and to receive the gift. Others, even though God loved them, either had an emotional conflict or they just didn't understand or they had a, a view of what what actually happened that was not what the the experience actually promised and one of the one of the challenges that i had and any pentecostal pastor where you had people lined up and you're praying for them to receive this this gift man some people were ready boom there it was some people just kind of stood there and stared some people would just say jesus jesus over and over again and no matter how wonderful that name is, we, I, I'm sure that there are people who said, okay, okay, let's just stop here for a minute. We know you love Jesus. We know the Bible speaks about him baptizing. We know, we know that he's the way, the truth, and the life. We know that you're wanting the blessing that he promised. But at some point, you've got to stop at this, in this experience. You've got to stop saying that name and actually begin to start speaking in tongues. Who hasn't had that kind of <laughs> experience? And so you, you walk away just blessed but exasperated. And so I know that the early purveyors of this movement years and years ago in, in the 1900s, they, they recognized this. And so they developed the concept of waiting or tarrying. They yanked that, that reference out of what Jesus said in Acts 1 and what the church was doing in one accord in Acts 2. And they told people, well, you know, you just need to tarry. You just need to wait. And I'm here to say today that that is not what, what that meant in the book of Acts. It was a convenient thing that was used to try to explain what you do to get people ready to receive. And I do believe that people need to be ready to receive. 
Uh, even when we would have meetings where the Holy Spirit was just moving powerfully and we were ministering diversities of tongues by the laying on of hands and asking God to fill people and to lead them into this. There were some people that just didn't get it. They weren't ready. And even in the very beginning when everybody was fired up, there were some who just didn't get it. And so I do believe, and I've said this, that when we go out in ministry as saints, we probably need to do what some of the healing evangelists used to do, where they would have, you know, I know Catherine Kuhlman and Oral Roberts even had this, where people were coming to receive healing, there would be a pre-meeting where someone would explain to them exactly what was going to go on, how they would be healed by, by it doesn't come because of a man or a woman, it doesn't come because the feelings just right and they would go through the scriptures of the promises and try to get those people mentally prepared so that their spirit could come along and and i i remember we had a meeting one of our first meetings in cabo fria brazil and there were hundreds of people and they were all excited that we were there and we've enjoyed a great relationship with the pastor there and look forward to the great things that god's going to continue to do in and through them we spent an hour or more going through that congregation laying hands on people. And the first thing is we as English speakers couldn't tell whether they were speaking Brazilian or some other language or speaking in tongues. That was one obstacle. But there were some people we laid hands on, and I'm not diminishing their experience in God or, or, or criticizing them. But they didn't have a clue what was going on. And they were just kind of, staring at us like a cow looking at a new gate. And I, I would be exasperated because I thought, you know, God wants to give you something, but you don't have a clue. You're, you're one of those ones saying, what means this? Now, thankfully, there weren't any around that I knew of who were doubting and mocking, saying we were full of new wine. Maybe a little wine would have helped. But that's a challenging thing. So I can understand how the early purveyors of the Pentecostal movement would come up with this strategy of waiting and they needed to find a scripture to kind of back them up and in those early days you know many of them weren't trained they didn't have bible programs they had no clue what waiting or tarrying actually meant and so for them that meant what wait means for us well you're not ready yet maybe you don't have enough faith well, maybe God just wants you to spend some time with him. And so you got to go wait and tarry until he thinks you're ready. None of that's in Scripture. It really isn't. I mean, but what, what really is, is that people need to have... Now, not everybody has to have an understanding in, of what the process is before they receive. That's the unique thing. I mean whether it's healing or provision or being uh, receiving tongues or any other kind of thing. There are some people that are just, boom, it, it's in, and you can't explain, now, why are they there? Even, even sometimes, you know, there were people who were really earnest and really sincere, and then there were other people that were, were just kind of there. And those people many times just received, legitimately received. And the leader couldn't say 
Why? This person got it and that person didn't. And so they came up with this idea and this explanation of waiting and tarrying. And even though it was a good idea, and I do see some factors that, you know, the scripture's taken out of context, but I but I do see some factors of the benefit of that. But on the other hand, it puts some people into a holding pattern like flying into Heathrow in London where you just keep circling and circling and circling and you never do land. Well, eventually you do. But um, you just, you're just waiting. <laughs> and when God's there. And so we want to talk about what waiting is because I do believe that we're in a waiting pattern in God in his timing, according to what he's wanting to do. So, lest somebody say we actually aren't reading the scripture. If you remember in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, when Jesus was gathering with his disciples before he ascended, and he told them about the promise of the Father, which I don't think, I don't think that they were I don't think they were hearing this for the first time. I think that those days, those weeks before he actually ascended, he was telling them a lot of things that prepared them for when he would be ascending. Um, so Acts 1 verse 4 says, Being assembled together with them, commanded them, this is Jesus, that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which says he, you have heard of me. Now, wait. This is a term, paramano. And it, of course, meno, we understand, is the word translated as abide. And it has less to do with feeling all warm and cozy and snuggling up to the Lord and it has to do with you actually taking a stand where you've been planted. Now, in that environment of standing, God can come near and you can have wonderful visitations. But sometimes abiding doesn't feel warm and cozy. Sometimes abiding isn't when you have lost contact with this world and you're somewhere else and you're just moving with others in their spirit and feeling all great and cuddly. Abiding sometimes is tough. Abiding is when you've done all to stand and you're standing there for. You know, that's when you abide. You know, you say, abide in me and my words abide in you and you will have whatever you ask the Father and you'll bear much fruit. I know those passages from John. But I also know horticulturally that the way that a plant really grows so that it bears much fruit is that it digs deep into the soil with its roots. And the only reason it does that is because, first of all, it was programmed genetically to do that, but it's searching for water sources. You know, if, if a plant, you know, I remember going to Disney World with my girls uh, when they were young, and we took them as a family, and a storm blew through, and a lot of trees, a lot of uh, palm trees that had been planted for the ambience of the place just were all blown over because they had no root system. And the Lord talks about those that 
that hear the word and they have no root in them. And when the first challenges come, they wither and die. Well, abiding is not just when everything is just water sources and, you know, you're just feeling the presence of the Lord and, oh, I just want to abide with you. No, it's you taking a stand where you are. And sometimes you're going to have plenty of water and sometimes you're going to have to dig deep. And the dig deep times is what causes you to bear much fruit and to expand and grow. We're in one of those periods right now. So to perimeno means that you are menoing, but you are you are around. Para means to be around and about. You are in Jerusalem and you stick to one point of of uh, obedience to God and you are you know you're not roaming off to Antioch or to Caesarea Philippi you know you're staying there so parameno means you limit your your um, your movements to Jerusalem now what were they doing there verse 14 plainly tells us that they were in prayer and supplication. Now, have we not studied this over and over again over the past few years about how that this is a demonstration of the spirit of grace and supplication? This is where you are praying in a supplication manner where you're partnering with God. You are digging deep with him and you're believing for his work to come. And the type of the type of prayer and supplication, the type of prayer in that is that God is revealing point by point different things that he wants you to know so that you can apply them prophetically and declaratively. That's what they were doing during that time. They weren't there saying, oh God, make me perfect. Oh God, help me to be able to receive this thing because I know you're not coming till I'm ready. You know, it wasn't that. It was that they were fully engaged as partners with God. They were embracing His promise. They were hearing from Him. They were prophetically declaring. And all the people were there. You know, the big the big 11 were there. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. You know, they were all doing this. And... Um, so they, they weren't just there counting down the days and people got tired of waiting so they went away. And a lot of them did go away, which tells you that it wasn't the abiding that just had them all sappy and sweet. They were laboring in seeking after God to serve Him and to align themselves with what God was wanting to do. Now, this is what welcomed the timing of God. Didn't create the timing of God. That was already settled. Pentecost was going to come. Now, I'm not sure they knew exactly that on the day of Pentecost, this bombastic display from God was going to happen. But Peter stood up and this is that. And quoted from Joel 2, which speaks about the outpouring, the fivefold pouring out of God and the, the, the mobilization for a new thing. Um, you know, if he was really, if he was going to really, this is that, he would have quoted from Isaiah, 
where it talks about with stammering lips and an unknown tongue, I'll speak to this people. Peter didn't quote that, did he? No, he did not. What he talked about was the promise of the Father, and that's what they were all waiting for. That's what they were praying uh, in, in conjunction with prayer and supplication for. And so it was what the, the outpouring was supposed to be providing for. And, you know, the, the Spirit coming upon all flesh, sons and daughters prophesying, old men dreaming dreams, young men having visions, handmaidens and servants, the outpouring of an unusual demonstration of the Spirit. That's what they were providing for. And there really was not any physical, how do I say this? There wasn't a real demonstration of that. They were tongues. People were ready. You know, people were experiencing things, the thousands that received that um, they had not expected. Peter comes up with Joel 2, which was what was happening. But Joel 2 really doesn't explain unknown tongue. Isaiah would have. And that's an interesting thing. So it shows that Peter was overwhelmed by the outpouring of the Spirit. Maybe Jesus told him it was going to happen that way. We don't know. But they were speaking about what Joel's promise was, which was probably what God was revealing to them when they were in grace and supplication, when they were in prayer and supplication. So they, so they really weren't up there in that room or surrounding Jerusalem saying, Oh, woe is me. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Oh, yeah, I've got to be perfected. I've got to get more faith. None of that nonsense that so often paralyzes people from receiving what God wants. He began to talk about functionality and identity. Peter did. And so that's what waiting was. And I, I see a similar concept in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 where you find the Apostle Paul writing and he, he says that he uses the high and holy word tarrying. And um, he says in verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 16, I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. Verse 9, for a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries, many anachami, any who, many who are standing against what I am called to do and what God has commissioned to be done. This is, you know, we talked about kami many years ago, how it's synonymous with the Old Testament word sum, and it really means you accepting your placement and becoming um, that standard bearer for that placement. So here Paul uses a derivative. It's, 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 not, it's not parameno, which was in Acts 1, verse 4. It's, it's a different kind of meno. And, you know, it might be good for you to, to study about the meno brothers. <laughs> Because there are a few of, of them. This word is epimeno, which means to stay over, to remain, to continue. And, you know, it's used in the scripture to talk about continuing to ask, continuing to knock, continuing in doctrine. 
And so it's really committing yourself to the things you've learned and the things you've known. You're, you're abiding in that. You are, you are standing in that. And that's, that's an important thing. And, you know, there, you've got Bible programs. You can look at the, the various types of, of meno uh, usages in the Scripture. And um, I, think, I think that that would be a good thing just for you to do in, in your study. But the point is, is that Paul <clears throat> says, I'm going to wait here with these Ephesians who are high-level saints, and I'm going to wait till Pentecost. It wasn't that he was saying, <clears throat> you know, I'd like to spend a little more time with these people, so I'm going to be here at least till Pentecost. He was doing an active thing. There are other words that speak about just hanging around and waiting in a chronological way. And in fact, one of those words actually has chrono in it. But but this means he was going to stay with those people uh, in, in, what do you mean those people? He was going to stay with them until um, until Pentecost. And I have a feeling that he was offering grace and supplication before the Lord. He was spending time with the Ephesians in that pursuit. And I think, I think what he was waiting on was what the next verse says. A great and effectual door is being opened. I can see it there. And so we're going to, we're going to, Epimeno, we're, we're going to wait. Just in, and I believe, I wasn't there, but he recognized that that time at Pentecost leading up to the initial Pentecost was a moment where God was opening into a new thing. And it was imperative for the people, all those those Hall of Fame people, to be participating in grace and supplication because grace and supplication opens the door for what God is or intended to do, to lead the people. Grace leads into a new thing. And that's what they were doing. Paul recognized that there was something God wanted to do, a great door, and he recognized that there were the position of a lot of adversaries, and so he said, we're going to be here and we're going to be waiting. We're going to be tarrying. They weren't there, oh God, you know, I'm just a, a terrible so-and-so, and uh, I've sloughed off, and I need, oh, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy, I need to get through this door, but I'm too fat, so i got to thin down to get through that door. It's about the size of a camel, uh, of a needle, and I'm as big as a camel. He doesn't say any of that. In fact, he says it's a great and effectual door. So it's not about him getting small enough to go through it. Yeah, there are places where, you know, narrow is the way, because of that narrow way, Paul was there for the open door. So, throwing a lot of phrases and scriptures out there, references, but you should be ready for them. You should know these things. So, I believe that we're in a similar moment. I believe at this Pentecost, we're waiting. We're tarrying. But we're not just waiting for the pandemic to be over and for phase two and phase three and a virus a vaccination and, you know, all clear, let's go to the beach. I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. That's not what I'm waiting for. That's all going to come, we hope. But this moment is a sign. And we should be seeking God because of what God has called us to do 
and what we know he's promised in this year of wisdom and what is coming for the saints. Now, some of you really need to get in line with what God has called you to be. And if you spend your days just searching the internet for what every Tom, Dick, and Harry prophet is saying about this time, maybe your Wi-Fi needs to go screwy so that God can talk to you in the still small voice for a little bit. People are scrambling for answers right now. And there, believe me, there are a lot of ministries that are scrambling to give those answers. And guess what? Their answers may not be, may not be what God's really saying. And there are some ministries that are trying to figure out how to capitalize on this moment. I remember when Brownsville, the revival at Brownsville was happening, and they talked about the river, which was a theme that came out of the vineyard in Toronto, and I blessed that. But it wasn't very long until everybody in the southeast had a river at their church. Come over to us. We have the river. And I remember we came back to Dallas, and we began seeking the Lord, and there was an Assembly of God church here in town that partnered with another guy, and they were intent that they were going to have a revival over there, and they had the river. And I remember this guy contacting us and talking to me and said, hey, we really need you to come and support this because this momentum is only going to go as far as you helping us. Well, but what he was really saying, hey, you know, crowds are dwindling. You come because it's, it's going to make it look like we really have something. Brownsville didn't have to go up and stir up uh, getting people to come. That w- It happened by God's Spirit, and when it was over, it was over there at that location. And I bless them, I even bless them today. But, you know, this is not an issue where You know, we're looking for somebody to tell us where God is. You know, Jesus said there's going to be many who'll say, yo, Christ is here, or Christ is out here, or Christ is up here. We bless other ministries, but I'm telling you one thing. The people in Jerusalem weren't looking for everybody else to tell them what was going on. They were praying in in prayer and supplication. Paul was doing uh, a a meno version of, leading up to Pentecost because he sensed that something was coming and he had a place in it. And he wasn't looking for somebody else to tell him what it was. He was praying. And so I recognize, and and again, I'm going to refer back in the remaining minutes to something that God was speaking to me about the past couple of days and how God used a documentary that I watched about the food industry in the United States and how it revolutionized, for good or bad, depending on what you think, um, the the way Americans eat. And we looked at just about all the, the a number of people, you know, from Kentucky Fried Chicken and Colonel Sanders and Bird's Eye, who produced the uh, the the frozen food phenomenon, and you know those that. Uh, created the chocolate industry and those H.J. Hines who created canned food and preserving of food in that way and, you know, those that were in Battle Creek, Michigan moving on behalf of uh, cereals and how the McDonald's brothers revolutionized how fast food could be provided and they totally 
uh, morphed the, 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 the way that uh, kitchens and frying zones were, were, are still used today. And, uh, but all of them had turning points. Many of them bankrupted or were on the verge of bankruptcy because the thing that they had ingeniously uh, invented, the people weren't ready for it, and it almost went under. And I think and I know that God has given his saints the end-time message. And I know that God has spent a long time teaching us many things in his scripture that are in plain sight, but that either it's our job to mine them and search them out and get them ready for teaching, uh, but, but I know that there are a lot of places that have not been ready or willing to receive this. And so what really is needed is what every one of those people that are household names now had. They had, an, they had a, a breakthrough moment, a tipping point, something that happened that then catapulted them and the ideas that, the ideas that they were given into prominence. You know, I've, I've been reading a book at some time. I've had, I spent a lot of time studying the scripture. I spend day after day up here in the booth or some other place teaching, and I'm happy to do that. But every now and then, I actually read things. I've been reading about the Transcontinental Railroad, where the Union Pacific and the Central Pacific had that race that finally met at Promontory Point, Utah, and how, you know, the government allowed them to sell bonds, but it wasn't funded by the government. It was funded by two corporations that were competing with each other. And they were in debt just about all the time. You know, they, they had no money most of the time. They were forging forth more to, to beat the other corporation to get as far as they could because that meant notoriety and that meant more bond, the ability for them to sell bonds. But they, they were exasperated because... You know, they didn't have the support. They didn't have the funds. They just had people that were working hard, whether they be Chinese or Irish or the Mormons in Utah or, you know, whoever they could get to work and to really labor and put their lives at risk for something that people couldn't even conceive. People couldn't conceptualize what, what was there. And so they almost went under. And Stephen Ambrose wrote this book. It's phenomenal. I never realized this is what they faced. But they almost, both of them, went under because of lack of funds. And um, I, um, you know, in Pittsburgh, Carnegie, or Carnegie as we called him, and um, George Westinghouse, and even Heinz, who was there in Pittsburgh, they all had to take leaps of faith, and their inventions were ridiculed and mocked, and there were competitors. Even I watched a documentary yesterday when I was working out about Jonas Salk, who, thanks be to God, created the polio vaccine just a couple of years before I was born, and how he was ridiculed and mocked. And there were most of the scientific community wanted a live virus 
And Saul didn't want to do that because he didn't want to infect children with the polio virus. Some of them could be saved from polio, but others would have just been infected. So he went with uh, trying to invigorate uh, 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 the dead, the three strains of the polio virus, and so that the body could be tricked in producing antibodies. And that's what worked. But Walter Winchell in New York came and said, this is going to kill your children. It's going to destroy you. This is a messenger of death. And, you know, Salk got an agreement to vaccinate most of the kids in Pittsburgh. They were the first ones as a trial to receive this vaccination. But only Roosevelt, who himself was suffering with polio, uh, commissioned um, uh, the, 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 um, the March of Dimes to create research and years after Roosevelt died, Salk came up with this vaccination. and But boy, oh boy, everything was against him. Not the disease was against him. Competitors in the medical field were against him. You know, the media was against him. But he came through, and thank God, polio was eventually eradicated from the United States. And it was heartbreaking to see that you know, of just a few years ago, the last nation who still had polio was Nigeria, and they were hoping to eradicate it, it with this same vaccine. So what I'm saying is that we're in a position where God has given us what is coming. The saints are everywhere in the, in the end-time literature. And it's not just being a good person or some self-help book to finally realize the benefits of Christianity. I mean, these the saints are hardcore warriors for the kingdom, dedicated to the restoration of what the Father is wanting. That's, that's it. Now, I have a hard time believing that the queen of heaven and the beast, the false prophet, and the antichrist are going to be troubled because you can play a few licks on your guitar and minister to people who are, who are forgotten. That's not going to threaten the enemy. In fact, he's going to use that same motive for his own devices. He's doing it today. The saints had better be ready because you are going to be on the front lines of battle if you read what the scriptures say. And so we've been given the meat and what we need during this season of waiting worldwide is to sow ourselves into grace and supplication and to, like Paul, say, we see a great and effectual door that's open. There are many anachemi. There are many adversaries, both in religion and in the demonic realm and in the world. And somehow they all mix together from time to time. So we need to pray. We need to tarry. And um, we need to wait, as they did at Pentecost, for the breakthrough. Now, how's that going to happen? It's not going to come because we've got some brilliant new ideas. The best ideas God has ever given to the saints movement so far has been because he releases something to us and then we see it in the scripture. We do it. We do it first. You do and then you teach. You do it first based on the fact that you've hidden the word in your heart and you immediately find where it is in Scripture. You don't bend the Scripture to fit it. 
You don't get a, a round peg from the scripture and try to force it into a square hole. <clears throat> but that's the way God moves. Everything we've experienced as saints is because God stirred the tops of the mulberry trees and he marched ahead and we followed. The parats of the Lord is what we need. And that's what we need to be sowing ourselves into. A tipping point of the Spirit. Something that comes by the divine grace and timing of God and makes the way, ignites what we have been given. Now, maybe this time in the hearts of those who should be receiving this message is being used to stir a deeper hunger. Maybe people are seeing, you know what, us coming together in Kumbaya because it's the cool place to be. And, you know, uh, I won't elaborate because people get offended when I say that. But I know how churches run and I know what I hear and I know what I see. Maybe God stopped that to wake people up a little bit. Maybe God said, okay, there's going to be silence in heaven. You know, even the silence in heaven that's mentioned in the book of Revelation sets the stage for great pronunciations and great visitations of the Spirit of God in the time of the end. You know, I, I think even in heaven you have a silence that sets the stage for something that God had prophesied that all of the people were, were, were waiting on. And this half hour, you know, we've tried to figure out, this is Revelation 8, we've tried to determine, okay, what does that mean? A day in the Lord is a thousand years, so this really means this, this really means this. It's just like Indiana Jones, the first movie where they're trying to figure out with that staff where the sun shines and they, they finally had to figure out, and you have to remove one centimeter, I forget what it was. But, you know, that silence in heaven set the stage for the seven angels which stand before God, and there's a release of the prayers of the saints to be burnt on the gold, with the golden censer upon the altar, that incense. And that smoke of the incense comes up before God, and then uh, the, the fire from the altar is cast into the earth, and the seven angels with the seven trumpets begin to sound. The silence in conjunction with the incense of the saints, releases the uh, the casting of the fire of the altar upon the earth. God, let that fire fall. And it's not revival, fire, fall. You know, it, it's that from that altar, which Isaiah was touched by that stone, and, and that altar speaks about what the purpose of God is our prayers are being offered on behalf of that. And when this, these coals, this fire is launched to the earth, it makes people readied. Not everybody, because some people just don't want to be. That, that altar could fall on their head and they wouldn't receive. <laughs> That's just the way it is. You know, people standing there watching Jesus ascend into the clouds and they're doubting. How in the world can that happen? It did. So, but then the trumpets blast. So this timing where we're waiting is something that we shouldn't be in our loneliness, just waiting to get back to the things, the way things were. 
we should be saying, Lord, this is an unprecedented sign worldwide. We're going to sow ourselves into the glorious, the glorious privilege of partnering with you as those who offer supplication on behalf of grace, what you're wanting to lead us into, the lead to lead the world into. This great and effectual door is there, but we've got to wait in prayer, partnering with God for His timing so that we are, for the joy set before us, we're sowing into that. Do you see this? So this is what's coming. Yeah, it irritates me to see lots of things. You've got to be, really be careful. I don't know what some of you who only read leftist things and read stuff out of liberal rags, I, I, I don't know what you believe right now. God help you. I don't believe everything's on that that is posted on the conservative sites. A lot of that is true. But what I'm seeing is that there is a clash in our country right now and in the world. There are forces who continually are not accepting that there's a God. They're carnal. They're in the world. And then there are a lot of people that are Christian, but they're really not doing much other than just being Christians. And then there are those that are called to be the firebrands of the Spirit. There are those that God's making hungry and those that should be preparing the meat. Um, I see that. You better see it because it's there. There's something mighty coming. It's not going to be kingdom now where, okay, God's Spirit's moving so much we can just scrap what's written in the book of Revelation. That is, that's not happening either. Uh, we've we've got to be we've got to just recognize that this timing is important. We see the maneuvers of the enemy, not all of them, but we can see them. And our job right now is not to just get so fired up about the enemy that we make that our penchant. We should be moving in grace and supplication. The people at Pentecost knew there was a promise coming, and they offered. Deasis and Prosuke. They were busy doing that. Paul was busy doing what he was doing leading up to Pentecost in Ephesus. Why? Because he saw the great and effectual door, and at the same time, he could see the many opponents. So we pray as supplication people, partners with God, saints. Now, we're coming to Pentecost this weekend as we close this broadcast. For us here in Dallas, it's Communion Sunday, so we're also celebrating the Passover. And I'm asking my congregation, wherever you may be, on this Sunday to, of course, tune in to the live stream. But let's pray as they did before Pentecost, as Paul did in Ephesus. And let's sow ourselves knowing that this door that God has put before us is about to be made ready for us to enter in. Let's pray like we saw David and, and his comrades when they were waiting for the stirring in the mulberry, the wisdom tree, so that God, when he moves, we're moving with him. Not just moving, going so we can get back to Chili's or, 
or wherever you like to go and eat. We can go camp out and have a barbecue at the beach. Those are great things, but that's not what we're waiting for. We're waiting for what this unprecedented time of silence, this unprecedented time of suspension of activity, we're sowing into that because God has ordained it. And we're looking forward to what's coming. What you do that time is not bide your time and search for everybody else's opinions. You do what God's Word says. You be a prayer partner in supplication as a son, as a saint. And you look forward to the door that's going to open. We see it, but it's not time yet. We see it, and um, I know that we're going to... Um, we're going to have some kind of a tipping point. We're going to have some time where God is going to ignite in a way that none of us have expected the, the hunger and the releasing of the message that he's given us for the end time. That's what's coming. We need to be wise enough to know it, and we need to sow into it. So this Sunday... You know, the, the people in the initial Passover, they were waiting too. We're under the blood. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. We're protected from this pestilence. Thank God for that. But we're also waiting as they did at Pentecost. And we're waiting like the saints and the angels and the elders. And uh, they're all waiting for this in the silence of God in the book of Revelation for God to release something upon the earth. Is this what this is right now? Is this the, the, the silence in heaven? I don't know. Might be. I don't know. But what I do know is the principle. And what God shows over and over again in the silence in heaven is for, you know, what was, I, what was Elijah doing in the top of the mountain other than complaining? I'm speaking to you in the still small voice. Wrap your mantle around your head. Come to the opening of the cave. Are you ready to step out with me into a new thing? According to your calling, according to your commissioning? Or are you trapped in the past? Are you trapped in the woundings of the past? Are you trapped into the, in the things that over the years you've had to battle and you just never liked it and now you're just fed up with it? Oh, listen, believe me, I know that. I know what that is. I've had to jettison a lot of that, and I still think there's some more to jettison. But we need to step into the new day in God's timing. But what we do in getting ready for that is grace and supplication, prayer and supplication, and knowing that a great and effectual door is there. Yeah, there are enemies, but knowing that, does not direct what we do. We don't direct ourselves to the enemies, even though we're aware of them. Um, but we, we pour ourselves into God, knowing that something's coming. So let's do that in these intervening days, and let's do that on Sunday. This coming Sunday, I'll be making some announcements about what we're going to do and the way of reopening here. Of course, we've not stopped We've been reaching out every day in numbers of ways. People can come here to pray. So I'm not in any hurry to, to get on the bandwagon and say, oh, we've got to meet again. And, you know, but I do feel that God's saying what we need to be doing next. So I'm going to be announcing that on Sunday. And um, 
But the main thing is we need to be praying in prayer and supplication, looking for what is coming. Amen? Well, God bless you, and thanks for tuning in. And um, we'll just look forward to being able to join together before the throne. Till next time, goodbye.